Welcome to the CME CE podcast, Let's Talk MRSA, 20 Frequently Asked Questions. Please review the complete CME CE information at www.mrsa20faqs.com. This podcast is designed to clarify frequently asked questions in serious MRSA infections that pose a threat to patient safety and add to the healthcare burden. Episodes released weekly are structured into four learning modules. Learners can apply for credit after reviewing each learning module. This is the third learning module, Clinical Tactics for MRSA Infections. There are seven episodes in this learning module. This is the fifth episode. In this episode, Dr. Thomas Fowler, Jr. from Northeastern Ohio University's College of Medicine in Rootstown, Ohio, shares his clinical experience. Welcome, and thank you, Dr. File, for joining us. Our previous discussion addressed the management of MRSA nosocomial pneumonia. However, with a greater prevalence of MRSA in the community, there is increasing concern that this may lead to an increased number of cases of MRSA community-associated pneumonia. So my first question to you, Dr. File, are there actually more cases of MRSA pneumonia being reported in the community? Well, I think there is, and although... If you look at the reported cases, it remains relatively uncommon as a cause of community-acquired pneumonia. MRSA is really emerging as a cause of significant severe community-acquired pneumonia, and there are several recent studies to show now that for uh, patients with severe pneumonia, and that is pneumonia requiring admission to the intensive care unit, it is now the second leading cause, second leading only to, uh, to the pneumococcus. Uh, so it has overtaken other pathogens such as Legionella, gram-negative pathogens, uh, et cetera. And I think we're even going to start to see this emerge as a more common cause of community-acquired pneumonia even admitted to the uh, general ward, and maybe, quite honestly, even ambulatory uh, pneumonia. And there was just a, a recent study uh, from Northwestern University of 15 patients uh, admitted to their hospital for community-associated uh, MRSA pneumonia, and half these were never admitted uh, to the uh, intensive care unit. So I think this illustrates that we're starting to see the emergence of this not only in severe community-acquired pneumonia, but lesser severe cases uh, as well. So I believe that we are going to see this increase over the next uh, several years. Okay. So have uh, specific patient risk factors been identified for MRSA pneumonia in the community? Well, one of the big risk factors is association uh, after preceding viral infection, uh, specifically uh, influenza. So uh, this is a big concern, actually, last year with our outbreak of 2009 H1N1 strain of uh, influenza A. Uh, although, interestingly, in our experience, we did not see a significant increase in secondary MRSA pneumonia. But if you look at data from the CDC, uh, again, the second leading cause of serious infection after this infection that was due to at least secondary bacterial infection was MRSA, with, again, be the, the leading uh, cause being uh, the pneumococcus. So I think uh, post-influenza, that's a concern. Uh, any patient who has severe pneumonia now uh, re uh, of community-acquired um, pneumonia who is admitted to the ICU, I think we need to consider this. Anybody who has necrotizing or cavitary infiltrates, this is a a typical finding in, in these patients. Uh, if they're spread to the pleural space causing empyema, uh, this is a concern. And even, I think, if there's a history, for example, of MRSA skin infections, or if there's other risk factors that we know are associated with MRSA, such as maybe overcrowding uh, or poor hygiene, this has to be taken into consideration as well. 
Okay. Um, I can imagine that for a primary care physician seeing a patient with a respiratory tract infection, it may be difficult to differentiate if the infection is being caused by MRSA versus another pathogen. Are there signs or symptoms specific for MRSA pneumonia that clinicians should be aware of? Well, as we just uh, reviewed, there are these uh, risk factors and these findings uh, of a particular pneumonia for which there is a higher association for MRSA. But I think clinicians uh, should always consider MRSA in patients who have severe pneumonia requiring admission uh, to the ICU, or as I said, if they have cavitary infiltrates uh, or empyema or these other risk factors uh, for MRSA, or if, if you've known indeed that they've had, uh, for example, skin infections due to MRSA, that would be a concern as well. Okay, so for primary care physicians, what course of action should be taken if MRSA pneumonia is suspected or confirmed? Well, as you've already mentioned, uh, the guidelines uh, recommend either uh, IV vancomycin, but in good doses, it should be at least 15 milligrams uh, per kilogram uh, every uh, 12 hours, maybe every eight hours, uh, maybe even higher, actually, at least for the initial dose, or linazolid, uh, 600 milligrams, and, so, uh, and that's every 12 hours. But those would be the two preferred agents. And as I said earlier, personally, I prefer linazolid if the predominant strains of MRSA in one's institution has an MIC for vancomycin greater than one, and that's what it seems to be in our setting at this uh, point in time. Now, in addition to antibiotics, obviously, one has to uh, provide supportive care for patients, and often these patients who have MRSA pneumonia, it's associated with a uh, progression along with necrosis, and one has to be concerned about the requirement for mechanical ventilation. And then if there's an empyema, one needs to drain that in order to uh, provide optimal care for the patient. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. File, for giving us some more important inf information on these difficult infections. And I ask the audience to please join us for subsequent discussions on managing MRSA infections. Thank you.